0: Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, it's Dallas Cowboys and Mavericks Chaplain Jonathan Evans, the son of Tony Evans, who has released a spoken word album devoted to biblical manhood. Plus, pediatrician Meg Meeker has some words of encouragement for men calling fathers to walk in the role of hero to their kids. Then you'll be hearing from Jennifer Rothschild, who offers some unique insight about the lies that people tell themselves that contradict what God's Word has to say. And on this edition of The Intersection, motivational speaker Johnny Parker looks at our lives as a story and issues a challenge to adjust the story to be more in line with what God desires for it to be. Then from Focus on the Family, Bob DeMoss has some exciting news about the relaunch of Brio Magazine for teen girls. Finally, it's Travis Weber of the Family Research Council providing some insight into a recent statement from the U.S. Department of Agriculture about religious freedom, and a court victory for a t-shirt printer who did not wish to provide shirts for a local gay pride parade. This is The Intersection, of production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Jonathan Evans ministers at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas, where his father, Tony Evans, is a senior pastor. Jonathan also serves as chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys and the Dallas Mavericks. He has released a spoken word album entitled Jaywalk, which challenges men to walk boldly in the principles of the scriptures. This is Jonathan Evans now.
1: Obviously, jaywalking is is, is walking across the street when, it, when it's not kind of allotted or what it doesn't seem time to or when it's um, not the proper spot. And in this culture, um, it seems like there's so many things riding against Uh, men in our culture there's so many um, uh, men that are not involved and not being where they're supposed to be and God has called us and we're waiting for the right time in our life to cross to be the men that God has called us to be well there may not be a right time you just have to do it and so um, it's calling men um, using a lot of the material that my dad has written in Kingdom Man and also um, a lot of biblical references to really give a creative way to challenge men and encourage men of all ages um, to cross to become the men that God has called them to be. So we talk about um, really defining it the right way and what the God's expectations are uh, for man but in, for men, but instead of you know sitting down and reading a book, which is something you can't really meditate on, uh, like people do with music, I wanted to do it in a different and creative way. To where when pe- when men are moving, they can still be encouraged. Mm. A lot of times with uh, with books and different resources of that nature, you have to have time to sit down and dedicate time to read. But when you have something on your iPod or on your iPhone or um, or riding in your car, you can continuously be challenged and really meditate on what God's God's expectations
0: are for your life. Mm. So when we talk about creative communication with respect to these concepts, and I really, really like the concept here. Give us some examples, if you would, of, of some ways that you really wanted to, to think and speak outside of the box with respect to this material.
1: Well, yeah. So, um, example, the reason why I did this is because I wanted to create a new um, a new way of, of doing discipleship. I wanted to be able to create a bridge between the boomers and the millennials, um, it's hard to get a millennial as fast as we're running and moving around to to sit down and to just have a study and just read through a book. But if you, we could listen to something and then engage in something that is attractive to us while also being challenged, and then the boomers can come in and say, well, let's talk about what this really means and what does the Scripture say about this, then we can have deeper meaning and have meditation. And so that brings those two worlds together. Uh, and so that's why I wanted to do it. And then using spoken word is just an attractive way um, to be challenging when you're able to make words connect and use um, um, little uh, catchphrases to make people really think. Um, it really creates something that's not really that much used, at least in the Christian realm, um, for for discipleship, for bringing two mm-hmm. worlds together and for challenging a group of people, men specifically, who really need to be challenged to step up, because really the question today is, where are the men? Women are asking that question. Um, uh, The Bible asked that question. Um, If if I can find some good men, I can make some things happen. And so uh, the Garden of Eden was asking that question. Uh, Genesis 3, um, 6 says Adam was with her while she was in her disobedience. So we can't just talk about Eve and point at the woman who God gave us. We have to talk about why we were passive and allowing certain things to happen the question is where are the men and so that's what Mm -hmm. we're defining uh, in
0: this album jaywalk jonathan evans here on the intersection you can find out more by visiting the website jonathanblakeevans.com the intersection continues now with author and pediatrician meg meeker she's a former host of dr james dobson's family talk radio program in a recent conversation with me she provided encouragement relative to father's tied into her book, Hero, Being the Strong Father Your Children Need. Here now is Meg Meeker.
2: I call it hero not because I'm trying to get men to perform better as fathers, quite the opposite. What I'm trying to say is today, as you listen to this show, in your child's eyes, even if you're estranged from your adult child, your child wants you and sees you as his or her hero, because when a, chi- when a child is born, they're a child, and they look to this man who is, has a deep voice, he's larger than life, he's stronger than anybody, smarter than anybody, and he is there to keep, keep their, their world safe. And that's their belief. That's how they see this father. Now, father may not see him that way, but that's how a child sees him. And so it's not a role that a dad has to earn. It's a role that a child gives a father. I still give it to my father, and my father passed away six years ago. You know, my father, in many ways, was my hero. He fought his own demons. He he had a lot of problems and a lot of issues. But I believe that God sets that in a child's heart. Think about this. God shares a name with fathers. Mm-hmm. His favorite name is Father, and he chose men to say, I want you to have that name, too. I believe he takes that rule very, very seriously, and that's how men get a lot of great joy. But what is a hero dad? A hero dad to a child. Again, this isn't a father saying, "Well, I've never landed a plane with a broken wing, or I've never saved anybody out of a, you know, a cold river or anything." That doesn't matter. Um, a hero dad to a child is one who leads him, who says, "Follow me. Follow my example." I will show you how to love God. I will show you how to tell the truth. I will show you how to speak well to women. So, you know, and so on and so forth. So you're going to get the big stuff right, in other words. A coach, on the other hand, um, where which a lot of dads try to do now, is sort of say, now do this and do this and do this and, you know, play on that soccer team and go to that school and get these kind of grades. But kids don't want that. They want their hero dad to lead them. You know, a hero dad is also one who... I believe, you know, it exemplifies a faith in God who who says God the Father is the perfect role model. So I'm going to mimic his love for me to you child. And so, you know, those are the big things and that's what being a hero dad is all about. And I believe that any father can be that because God wired him to be that way from the very beginning. Mm.
0: And, as you were talking about children and their relationship to their fathers, and what you contend is a a god given view that children have of their father, and in a sense, an expectation of them to to act in a certain way to be that hero to their children. I'll tell you the devastating effects you can think of where you have a child where a father is absent, and we see that so much in our culture today. Or where you have a child and their father might be present, but that father is still absent, if you know what I mean.
2: Yes, very disengaged. Yes. And I see that a lot. And I don't think, I don't know that men want to be disengaged. I think there are many reasons they are disengaged, but I do know one thing, the only way to help them become engaged is by giving them encouragement and showing them what, they can be, and what good parenting looks like, it through the stories I write about in my book, not by telling them what they're not doing right, and that's the order of the day that we're doing right now. Is we're, if you ask a father what he what he does poorly, he can give you a list 15 you know 15 items of what he's not doing well as a dad, or what he probably thinks he's not doing well, because he feels. He may feel very secure at work and good about his job, but when he comes home, he thinks, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to get this right or not. They're not given encouragement. They're not given support. They're not told who they really are. They're told who they aren't and who they should be um, and what they're not doing right. So, you know, that's, that's a very important it's a very important thing to do to offer solutions to father and offer hope and encouragement um, and stop all the criticism.
0: Meg Meeker here on The Intersection. Learn more at megmeekermd.com. Well, The Intersection continues now with author and conference speaker Jennifer Rothschild. She spoke with me recently about some material found in her book, Me, Myself, and Lies, What to Say When You Talk to Yourself. By the way, there's a corresponding book entitled Me, Myself, and Lies for Young Women. Here now with some insight is Jennifer Rothschild.
3: I lost my sight when I was 15 years old. So at 15 years old, I became legally blind. And then over a period of years, because of the nature of my eye disease, I continued to lose eyesight. And so that meant I was finishing high school, going through college, dating, marrying, becoming a mom. And so there were so many opportunities for me to be faced with things that I couldn't do. I remember when all my friends graduated from college and they were all getting jobs. And this was many years ago, 30 years ago. um, And it was not as easy to get a job when I was that many years ago being blind as it would be today because of technology and it being so accessible so i remember just feeling that sense of oh my gosh i'm such a loser i can't do anything you know that's a lie but it's so quick i was so quick to internalize defeat Even though I had faith and I walked by faith and I truly trusted the Lord, the enemy would whisper in my ear these lies of defeat, and and I would just pick them up and believe them. In fact, here's what I call it. I would take those lies and put them in my thought closet. Because here's the thing, Bob. You've got one. I've got one. Everybody listening. We've all got what I call a thought closet. And that is that place in our mind where we store everything we've ever said to ourselves and our beliefs. Are there and what happens is we wardrobe our lives with what we have tucked away into our thought closets so those times and seasons when I was wardrobed with defeat it was because I had tucked away these lives that I can't do anything in my thought closet but the truth is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me so the Lord took me through this process of learning to clean out my thought closet and fill it with truth. It's what I call the three R's. The first R is recognize. In other words, recognize what you're saying to yourself. Recognize what you're putting in your thought closet. And here's a great question you can ask to help you begin to recognize. Am I speaking truth to myself? Am I telling myself lies? And here's how. Imagine. That you're someone you really respected, you know, like maybe an older friend or your pastor, or just someone you wanted to impress. Imagine that they could hear what you were saying to yourself. How would you feel? Would you be embarrassed, or would you be okay with it? Um, or imagine this: ask yourself, okay, would I be willing to get out a piece of paper and write down everything I say to myself, and give it to someone I love, like a child or a grandchild or a niece or nephew, and say, here? When you're an adult, I want you to talk to yourself like this. <laughs> mm. So if the answer is no, chances are you aren't saying things to yourself that are true or productive. So that helps you, first of all, recognize. Okay. Then that leads you to the second R, which is refuse. In other words, if you're not telling yourself the truth, if you're speaking lies to your own soul, then you need to refuse those lies. I mean, that's what 2 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us, that we are to hold every thought captive at the door of our thought closet. Okay, well, Scripture doesn't exactly say it that way, but it says we should hold every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. In other words, don't let that lie into your thought closet. Refuse it. So for me, if I'm saying, Jennifer, you're such an idiot, well, I recognize that's a lie. So I refuse it, and I don't let it in, but then I go to the third R, which is to replace replace it with the truth. Well, the truth is Ephesians 2, I am the workmanship of Christ. So I let that truth into my thought closet. And then I wardrobe my life with the truth that I may not be perfect, but I am perfectly accepted because I am the workmanship of Christ.
0: That was Jennifer Rothschild here on The Intersection. You can learn more about the book by going to us. Her site is jenniferrothschild.com. Well, this is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can learn more by visiting the website meetinghouseonline.info. There you'll find a link to the download center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you can listen to and download audio files of recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast. Also, through that site, you can subscribe to the podcast and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with Three Stories of Relevance to the Christian Community. It is released weekly. Plus, there's commentary from the Meeting House in the front room. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Video content is accessible also. Again, that website address is MeetingHouseOnline.info. Well, Johnny Parker is an author, leadership consultant, and motivational speaker. When he spoke with me recently, he discussed some concepts that he relates in the book, Turn the Page, Unlocking the Story Within You. Here now is Johnny Parker.
4: I find that in my life and many people that I've worked with and uh, that every life tells a story, Uh, every leader's life tells a story in every arena of our lives, whether it's our faith, whether it's our fitness, our finances, our family, there's a story being told and I asked the question: Is your life? Is your leadership? Is all these different arenas of your life—your family, your fitness, your finances, everything, your career—is it telling a story that you wanted to tell? I say it can. Uh, what inspired it for a long time, Bob? I felt stuck in a bad story, uh, spiritually speaking. I kind of, I kind of had my script of what my story was supposed to be but then of course there's the scriptures. So you, either you do the mm. script or you do the scriptures. Oh, I like
0: that. Yes. And,
4: uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and, uh, so anyway, um, I, I, so I felt stuck in a, in a really bad story. I, um, uh, I had a dear friend betray my trust. I I lost a dream consulting job. I, I began to have health challenges, uh, depression and panic attacks. And so, For a while, I I felt stuck in a bad story, and uh, I really wrestled with uh, Jesus' words. You know, I came to give you life and life more abundantly, and I said, what does that look like? What does that smell like? What does that feel like? Um, You know, because this this can't be it. Uh, And so what inspired it was was encouraging people to get unstuck, um, demand bold truth about your life, your challenges, and your strengths. Um, begin to see your challenges in a different light, in a different way, that uh, God allows adversity and he allows challenges. And it's called pruning or refiner's fire or, um, you know, uh, sifting as wheat uh, to make us more like, to make us like Christ and that our lives are fruitful. So I just felt like I want to encourage people to really get unstuck and to understand that for your story to really make sense we must tear up the script um and understand that jesus as he says in, it says in hebrews 12 2 that he is the ultimate author of the story and until we surrender our story our life to him uh, our stories will never make sense hmm. when jesus says deny yourself so in mark eight thirty four, luke nine twenty three says the same thing and quite Right, honestly, I used to wish this verse wasn't in the Bible because it made <laughs> yeah. me so uncomfortable Yeah. where the words are, if any man desires to come after me, I call it DTF. He must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. It's not man or woman. It's a person. If you desire to come after me. Um, and and I like that language desire, because I think what Jesus is saying is you don't have to do this. But apart from doing this, a person's life is filled with futility, frustration, foolishness fruitlessness and um and 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 so you get the book of ecclesiastes where the refrain throughout the book is um you know chasing after the wind i've given myself to wine to women to wisdom to wealth and i can't get any satisfaction it's like grasping after the wind until he comes to chapter 12 and he says now i get the conclusion of the matter is to fear god and keep his commandments so for me i i i was really uncomfortable with that language of deny yourself pick up your cross follow me i was fine with psalm 23 i was fine with the blessings Mm -hmm. of god but 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 my thinking uh as an immature follower of christ how am i going to get fulfilled and fulfillment doing this it made no sense to me but uh i believe these things i described earlier and sometimes i'm feeling stuck in a bad story was the very things that caused me to have to tear up my script and come to a place of surrender and understanding that surrender is not a one-time deal. It's, 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 it's a lifestyle. It's, it's, I'm supposed to live that way every day, not just at the yearly revival, um, but I am to live a life that way every day. So that's what I mean by being stuck. Um, I really battled. I really wrestled with, and it showed up on my marriage. Now, here I am as a marriage and family counselor, and, and I have to go sit on the counselors. and we, My wife and I had to go sit with a counselor uh, because I was trying to uh, control the story and not surrender the story.
0: Mm. Johnny Parker here on The Intersection. His website is johnnyparker.com. Well, The Intersection continues now with Bob DeMoss, He serves as Vice President of Content Development for Focus on the Family. He's also the publisher of Brio, which is a magazine oriented toward teen girls. In our recent conversation, he discussed the culture into which the magazine is being relaunched. With some more information about Brio, here's Bob DeMoss. I
5: have in front of me a copy of Seventeen magazine. And um, the topics that you read that they're talking about are lesbian sex, how to flirt, Uh, girls get real about the moment they knew they weren't straight, birth control, zodiac signs, and then there's a lot of misinformation. Like, for example, um, teen girls, if you pick up uh, Magazine Light 17, this is an an actual quote that I'm reading here. On the topic of gender, they say, quote, even if you've always considered yourself straight, that doesn't mean you can't develop feelings for another girl. Sexuality is a spectrum, plus you don't have to put a label on your feelings for sexuality if you don't want. And considering that more than half of young people aren't straight, you're not the only person dealing with these feelings, end quote. Well, first off, more than half aren't straight. That is a bold face lie. Where did
4: that come and, from?
5: My goodness. I know, Exactly. So, uh, you know, Bob, it was interesting because the um, New York Times called for an interview on the launch of Brio. NPR called Slate Magazine, which is a real liberal magazine, um, called. I mean, there's been a lot of interest in the secular press about this. And and it was interesting to see how many drill down on this whole question of gender fluidity and aren't you going to talk about all these, you know, trends in the sex, you know, the sexual, you know, whatever, uh, uh, you know, that uh, transgenderism and and bisexuality, and all the stuff that teen girls have to deal with and i said um first off the most generous numbers show that three percent maybe five percent of young people would not consider themselves straight contrary to what 17 magazine has said here so first off we're going to deal in the facts secondly you know, that suggests that there's 95% who are and who care about other topics. So since we, we would like to address the broad spectrum of issues, we're not going to get all obsessive in, in something that's of interest to such a small portion of the overall marketplace because we've got to speak to the core of our um, target audience, our target demographics, And we like to cover a lot of other things that are super important, like bullying and human trafficking. And the upcoming issue touches on the issue of suicide. I mean, a lot of other big issues that teen girls peer pressure and, you know, social media habits. And, you know, you go across the issues. There's so much more to to talk about and to apply the lens of Scripture to. So that's where we're going to dial in. But this misinformation that you find in 17 magazine, you know, I, I just, I, I'm, I, my heart breaks for this generation of young girls who are being fed outright lies mm-hmm. in the other kinds of magazines they're reading. If you look at the social media reach of Teen Vogue magazine compared to Focus on the Family, just take the Facebook social media reach. Teen Vogue has more than double the number of Facebook followers. They have 5.2 million, and all of Focus on the Family has 2.2 million. That's just one magazine. So we're talking about trying to light some candles with Brio in a very large uh, space, and it's one that um, I think we can be salt and light, but we sure would covet prayers, too, because – you know, Satan doesn't like people messing around with his territory. And uh, you know, candidly, um, there's a lot of darkness that you find uh being communicated in the social media space and and through other magazines and uh you know, you, you almost never hear the conversation um of of a faith nature uh in popular teen girl magazines. In fact when when the New York Times reporter was pushing me on this, like, Bob, why, you know, why is it focused on the family with Bria? Why don't you, why don't you, you know, do give us a whole lot more on the issue of gender fluidity and all this stuff? I said, you know, I long for the day when you would would drill down on these other publications. Why do they ignore the faith aspect mm-hmm. that is so prevalent in our country? What kids don't go to church? They don't pray before a meal. They don't gather, you know, see you at the poll and and bring your Bible to school and all these other things. You
0: there's a lot of faith things happening that nobody it's like faith has been censored from the public discourse. Bob Damas here on the intersection. You can go to focusonthefamily.com and go to the Brio section of the website to learn more. Well finally on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Travis Weber, Director of the Center for Religious Liberty at the Family Research Council. He discussed several matters relative to religious freedom, including a new policy statement by the U.S. Department of Agriculture on religious liberty. He also discussed a Kentucky t-shirt printer who had experienced an appeal-scored victory in an instance in which he declined to provide shirts for a gay pride parade. From that conversation, this is Travis Weber.
6: You know, the question of um, what exactly is the USCDA overseeing in terms of the speech of these locations is the answer to that. It should be absolutely nothing. But nevertheless, um, the government has, uh, under the last administration, had a policy of, um, of prohibiting certain types of hostile discriminatory speech. And, and this was rather, you know, a vague policy, obviously, who's to interpret that and what does that mean? And under this policy, the inspectors threatened to shut down the plant of Donald Vanderbilt unless he removed an article from his break room table that supported marriage between a man and a woman he only put this article there because he saw articles celebrating same-sex marriage and wanted to provide the counter viewpoint yet this was claimed to be by the inspectors um, in violation of the policy and he didn't want his place to be shut down and all his employees have no jobs so he agreed to take the the, the, uh, material away and the case still has not been fully resolved it languished for a long time now, the good development here is the USDA has put out a statement saying that religious liberty should be protected and this type of thing should not be occurring. So this is good development under this administration. We expect the issue to go away. We still need to follow through and make sure his case is resolved. The case has to proceed through the process, though, so it can't be uh, you know, just shut down before that happens. But uh, we expect a good result, and this is a good development.
0: Mm. There is one particular business out of Kentucky called Hands-On Originals that chose not to provide T-shirts for a gay pride parade. This is a a T-shirt printer, and this is something that has now gone to the appeals court level in the state of Kentucky. And Hands-On Originals getting a positive court ruling here recently set this up as far as the background of the case and what the court ruled here recently.
6: Yeah, I mean, so uh, this is a good development. Uh, This is one of the cases that, um, you know, I would classify in the area of small businesses coming into conflict with uh, sexual orientation and gender identity non-discrimination laws. And we've seen a lot of these in the wedding vendor context. This one is in um, the context of a a print shop uh, being asked to produce custom shirts for a gay pride parade. And... The owner didn't want to do that because it it goes against his beliefs to support that message, just like it goes against his beliefs to support a number of other messages. And he's operated his shop and consistent with his faith across all the areas of his faith. And so that is a a very powerful uh, set of facts here in communicating this is about the man's beliefs, not about uh, his his decision to just say, well, I don't want to uh, you know, I don't want to serve these people. Um, no, it's not about that. It's about his beliefs. And the facts really come across strongly when you examine um, them in this case. They strongly communicate that message now. Um, you know, so he didn't want to provide these shirts. Uh, he was legal action was taken against him by an administrative uh, body, the local human rights ordinance uh, which ruled against him. He appealed the case through the state court system, the lower the trial court level state court ruled for him in a strong ruling that ruling has now been affirmed um and the basis of this ruling at the court of appeals level is that uh he did not actually violate any non-discrimination law uh he just did he just didn't want to communicate a message um and and refusing to communicate a certain message when you're asked to against your will is not a uh an, an act of discrimination uh, under the, the the law in this case. So that's in essence the court's ruling. Um, you know, this is a good result. Um, obviously, you know, we need protections for all these small businesses in these various scenarios. So this ruling certainly protects him. I'm not sure how far it would go in a number of other contexts, but it's a good result. We applaud it. We think the reasoning is correct and uh, of reaching this result. And, and we hope that um, if it's appealed, It is affirmed
0: in the higher courts. Travis Weber here on The Intersection. The Family Research Council website is frc.org. Well, that just about wraps up this edition of The Intersection podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. You'll find a link to the download center marked Meeting House On Demand. Also, you can get subscribed to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, each week. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. The other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. You could also follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. You can get connected to video content as well. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Thanks for joining me for this edition of The Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.